Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is Christopher Silvestri, the head of Conversion Alchemy, as well as a conversion designer and copywriter. By bringing copywriting, user experience, and digital psychology together, Conversion Alchemy is a brand that's designed to make the internet a better place and help awesome businesses make more money in the process. On this episode, Christopher and I discuss what makes good copy, the intersection between copywriting and user experience, the importance of effective research, and much more. Here's our interview now. Christopher, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Good to be here. You're very happy to have you. So first off, why don't you tell me about your brand, Conversion Alchemy? So Conversion Alchemy is at the core a conversion copywriting agency. And we work both with software as a service and e-commerce businesses. But we also mix in uh, a lot of uh, UX design principles, a lot of conversion rate optimization, and uh, digital psychology, basically to help our clients convert more of their website visitors into customers. That's awesome. And so a lot of your experience comes from UX design and CRO and copywriting when when I looked at your LinkedIn a little bit. Is that just a skill set that you fell in love with or what kind of made you get into those uh, specific skills? So I actually fell in love, truly in love, madly in love with copywriting at first. It was actually first uh, direct response copywriting. So the old school yeah info product copywriting but basically just because the basics the fundamentals are have always been taught in that space but then uh, i stumbled on ux design because i worked for two years uh, at an agency and that's what i was mostly doing so they already had a copywriter and they saw that i i could actually bring a lot of value to the table as far as my uh, my perspective, my vision on wireframing, UX design. And so um, I started doing a lot of usability testing. If people don't know what usability testing is, it's basically having your website uh, used by these testers who actually go through it and tell you what they think about it and you can see where they where where they where they get stuck, uh, what they find helpful and so on. So I probably ran hundreds and hundreds of those tests. And through that, I I kind of got much, much better at putting myself in myself in visitors' shoes. And yeah, right now, it, it's kind of natural to me thinking in terms of uh, what these other people are thinking when they land on a website. And so I tried mixing copywriting and UX together. And it seems to work well. I mean, when I when I look at your case studies, your background and and, and your uh, very clean website, there's a lot there in terms of how you kind of marry the two, the design and, and copywriting. I personally have never really come across that that marriage before. Before we step forward, just jargon-wise, could you explain to our audience what, what wireframing is that anyone might not know? Yeah, so wireframes are basically non-branded layouts of a website. And I use them it's typically what ux designers use to design their apps before they actually get uh, the final user interface design so it's kind of the skeleton of a design and uh, i typically use wireframing in my processes right after writing the the copy i basically turn the copy into these layouts and it's a really good way for me to convey the whole idea of how the copy should flow and and for clients to understand as well yeah the 
how the narrative goes on the website, how they how users consume the content on a website, because it's basically it tells you basically, yeah, th this piece of copy goes here and and you might have an image here. It, it blends together the copy with the design even before the final mockups and before calling in a designer. So it's a, it's a, it's also a good way to cheaply test your copy if you want. Yeah, and I saw an example on your website that was really helpful where it kind of broke it down into three parts where it was kind of just like the words in a very rough order of where they would look on the page and then a, a, a version two, which was a little bit cleaner. It kind of looked like it was done on maybe a word processor, like an Adobe sort of page where everything's nice and organized. And then the final version, which looked like the live website where you've got color graphics and, and all that stuff. So it was kind of cool seeing how you create that process. So to kind of circle back to copywriting as a whole, in your opinion, how important is copywriting in the decision-making process for a customer? I mean, does it does it actually make a difference in customer con conversion? Yeah, for sure. I'm a bit biased, but that's I'm always of the opinion. And if you ask any copywriter, but also any designer, they would tell you that copy comes first before design. And that's because all the research, all the true knowledge and understanding of your audience, which is where you should actually start to craft your whole website experience, that comes through the research that you do with copywriting and also UX design on the other side, especially if you have an app. Obviously, you can do some branding research to come up with your color palette, your your fonts for the design, your illustrations, but that doesn't really tell you much about your audience and you want to always start with your market when you when you have to come up with a message so when you're doing that research are you doing research both in what would be helpful ux design as well as copy because the, the more i hear you talk about it there's an obvious connection and correlation between the two and, and how they can be involved with another but you have to do research both on how people are digesting information in terms of ux while what they're actually digesting is then creating a decision-making process for the customer yeah yeah totally because when coming up with the copy it's important that you craft the right compelling message but also how you how you display the context in which the message sits all of that is important because you have to understand how your visitors think how they make decisions on the website and there might be different types of decision maker, right? You might have people who make decisions mostly emotionally. They need to see a lot of visuals or photos of realistic uh, people on the website or some other ones are more on the logic side and they might need to see more numbers, graphs, charts, uh, comparisons. So all of that uh, needs to be taken into consideration when when writing the copy because all of your visuals need to complement the copy. Um, you need to have proof to back up your claims. So it, it's kind of a a natural flow. Yeah, it's a good mix of uh, copy and design. Always you have to keep in mind. And how do you perform that research exactly, or more specifically? Because that's pretty intimate things that you're trying to figure out. Yeah. You know, can't just yeah. Google it. Yeah. So. All of my projects are like the research that I run is custom based on the goals and the needs of the client. But typically, it's always important to consider two aspects of, of your research. So you have actually three aspects. So you have the client side, 
you always want to speak with the client, their team. You all want to run some interviews to understand their voice and tone, their message, what they know. And then you have the other side of the coin, which is the prospect side and customer side. So you have website visitors, who is the guys that you have to convince to buy. And then you have the customers who have already bought. And it's important to get the perspective of all of those. A good way, a couple of good ways to understand on the more on the website visitors side is, for example, using a software like Hotjar, where you can install heat maps. You, you basically see on the website, okay, where do people click? How far down the page do they scroll? And it also records uh, users using your website. So you see videos of people using the website. You see where they click. You see, if they rage click on something, they go back and forth because they don't find information. So all of those are really good. You can also run uh, website surveys, which are those sometimes annoying pop-ups. But if you do them well, you actually get a lot of responses where you can basically ask people why they're on your website, what's their goal, whether they found all the information that they need to find or not. So this is on the prospect survey side, prospect research side. On the customer side, it's uh, the highest ROI that you can have is interviewing your customers because that's where you get the most vivid insights, the most vivid pictures that you can use in your copy. But you can also run customer surveys, right? So emailing your list uh, with um, an invite to a survey, asking a couple of questions, and when you run those, it's always important to get the full picture. So asking them of the situation before, even thinking about your brand, what they were using, other solutions. And it's important to narrow down to the, the moment that they switched uh, or decided to buy from you. Uh, and also understanding the obstacles that, were, that might have prevented them to reaching out or signing up or buy. Because that moment of friction is what you want to remove from your whole flow. And once you've done that, once you've figured that out, it's much, much easier to convert. Yeah, you want, you want to take exits off the interstate, you know, exactly. di di different <laughs> ways where the, they're going to leave. So essentially, my question is, is there different value in customer feedback? So when you're interviewing or doing surveys with a customer, is there a difference between a customer who's had a positive experience versus negative experience or say the frequency with which different customers visit a website? Yeah, yeah, totally. So when looking obviously at, at those heat maps it's always important to distinguish between uh, returning users uh, or new users that's a lot of times it's one of the biggest differentiators but also when it's not all important to research customers or people who buy but i often ask questions or send a survey out to people who don't buy or if you have subscriptions, pe people who churn, maybe. So it's important to understand all the different facets of, of the business. And as far as the importance, not that one has more is more important than the other one, they all contribute in giving you as full of a picture uh, as you can get. So all of that is anything that you can get is important. I totally understand that. And the reason we're breaking this down so much to anyone listening is that, you know, Christopher, you've stated that 70% of your work is actually in research more than the the design or the copywriting, the job title, you know, yeah. really, you, you should be called a researcher more than anything else. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, or a detective. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And I like that analogy that you use on your website of being like a private investigator, you know, and a lot in 
what you do is is kind of a philosophy that I've learned and, and was taught, which is, you know, find the problem, find the solution, implement the solution. And I, I kind of see that in the way that you operate in your processes. So I'm curious, the research is kind of finding the problem, right? So in terms of finding the solution, how do you start to implement those findings specifically into copy wireframes and, and ultimately a live website? So what I do, it's basically for every project, I fill out this document, which I call the positioning formula. And that's because positioning, it's also another important milestone in, in all of my projects. Positioning is basically understanding what you do, who you do it for, and how you do it in a unique way. Once you have all of that jotted down, along with the research, voice of customer, all of that, basically I crystallize it into, I channel it into your value proposition, which is typically the way that you start the homepage, right? So those are the words that tell your potential customers what you do, who you do it for, and how you do it in a unique and different way. And that's typically the way that I start behind the value proposition. There's this idea of uh, idea of the big idea, which comes actually from it's something that I learned from direct response, right? So they, they it's the unique angle, the underlying theme behind the whole copy that basically tells you, okay, this is what you do, and this is why it's special, right? It's kind of the exciting exciting element behind the copy. Yeah, so it's everything starts from the value proposition headline copy, and from there. It's just basically a process of putting together all the talking points that you collected from the research in the right priority, because that's also important. You have to speak to people the way that they want to hear you speak and, and in the right sequence as well. So it's mostly just a matter of figure out, figuring out where to put all the different bits and pieces that you collected through research. And I'm curious, literally just popped into my head when it, when it comes to copywriting is when you're working with a client, you're essentially kind of ghostwriting for them a little bit, you know? So they have a, a certain idea and you have a certain idea for what their voice should be, right? And I think there's something interesting about like corporate tonality where say, if I'm writing an article or, or, or we're writing a blog post, you do a newsletter, you know, which, which is obviously going to be written in your voice compared to when you're working with a client, you still have your voice, but are then trying to manipulate that into a brand's voice and, and turn that into an identity. Is that kind of a hard thing to separate is, is finding a brand's voice and putting your putting your head into you know what they want to sound like? That's a great question because one thing that I found is that a lot of companies, they think they are using their own brand voice, but they actually don't. And, and it's either because either they are afraid or they want they don't want to push it too far. So basically what I'm doing, it's kind of helping them take that voice out into the world. And, and the voice typically it's made up of, um, you have the vocabulary. So how sophisticated are you? What kind of words you use? You have the tone, which is the more or less emotional side. And then you have the cadence, which is, are you using either like choppy sentences or long sentences? That's your style of writing. And most of the time speaking with the client, I kind of get the basis for it. And then the next step for me, it's always uh, researching what the voice of the competition is and figuring out what the the right intersection, what's the the right way of presenting, how the client wants to speak 
uh, in a way that it's different that kind of stands out from the competition as well and that fits their brand so that's typically something that I, i'm pretty excited to work on because a lot of times as i mentioned the client is not really hasn't really been able to to speak in their own words so it's always good when when they when they see the copy on the on the page and that re they realize that it finally speaks the, the way that they want to speak. No, that's fascinating. And that's the stuff that sounds like conversion alchemy to me. And that's the real science behind the magic. And I, I think what's interesting is that a lot of brands either lean one way or the other, and there's very little middle ground. There's, there is one way where everything feels like it's being written very broadly. We don't want to offend anyone. We just want to be a company strictly the facts, you know, and then there's others that are extremely casual that make it feel like I'm reading something that feels like it's overselling to me and being like, come buy our product because we're cool, you know? So I think, I, I think someone like yourself, Christopher, it, it sounds like is really good at towing that line between here's our services but we're also not super stodgy. And I like that you break it down between, you know, vocabulary, tone, and cadence, because a lot of people read and don't understand that those are all three very important factors in what they're reading. You can actually use them to measure the voice. And sometimes it doesn't even mean that your voice on the website needs to be the same exact everywhere. So you might have pages that speak slightly on a different tone because maybe it's your about us page. So you want to be a bit more personal. So it's it's important to adapt and change the voice based on the on the funnel, on the flow, user journey. Yeah. And I think that context is is extremely there. I mean, that's what you were mentioning earlier is, is context is very important. Do you, in, in terms of just to wrap up on the research, do you do any sort of user testing for your copy and designs before you implement it with a client? Yeah. Yeah. Usability testing. It's a lot of what I do. Obviously, uh, depending on the audience for B2B, it's a bit harder to get testers that fit the audience. But when it comes to B2C e-commerce, there's a Especially because e-commerce is a lot about usability, using filters, finding products on websites. So usability testing, it's a big part of what I do. And it actually, I, I recommend it to a lot of business owners because it's something that anyone can do once you figure out like the basics of writing, a, a setting up a usability testing. It's great because it tells you probably 80, 70% things that are not working on your website. So you can go ahead and, and try to fix them without having to hire an agency or a consultant like me, for example. So anyone could run a usability testing and, and see from their website visitors perspective yeah feedback is gold you also write as we, we were mentioning a daily newsletter with your insights on on various fields of expertise what is your main goal for that why do you do it i guess yes yeah, so it started because actually so the way that it started i wrote the first like 50 issues just for myself and it started more of like a writing exercise i i always thought Okay, I'm a writer. Writers write, <laughs> and I and I wanted I wanted a way to force myself to write and see whether I was really passionate and I could stick with it. And yeah, so it went pretty well. And I decided just to start it, publishing them uh, live, and started getting some some feedback, some people subscribing. And uh, I'm still, uh, it's still pretty recent and new. So I'm right now I'm speaking both to e-commerce founders, but also there are a lot of uh, freelancers and copywriters on the list. 
So sometimes I might I might have a couple of lessons for copywriters. Sometimes I might I might talk about positioning or UX or copy for founders. So it's still a blend. And um, yeah, the goal is just sharing my, my thoughts, experiments, uh, daily tasks. Even it, it's kind of like a building public exercise as well for me. So and one of the things that I, I find interesting in it, from what I read, is that you prefer the newsletters over social media because it's a little more intimate. It feels like it's not trying to sell someone something. You know, I, I think that the idea of content creation has become such an industry that it's hard to discern what's real and what's not. What are people's actual opinions and what are they just trying to get clicks or engagement? And I think that you've mentioned that that's one of the reasons that you've done your newsletter and why you kind of take it so seriously is because while you still use social media, you don't have an affinity for it for actual knowledge or insight or anything like that. Is is that accurate? Did I did I misread that information? No, I mean, yeah, I, I really like it because it's private, it's personal, and you start getting. It's all about creating relationships. I think so, especially with the daily newsletter, it's pretty easy to just like you start get getting to know your readers your readers start getting to know how you think and yeah it doesn't mean that i have to sell or anything it's just creating good relationships good connections then maybe you could i could help someone someone could help me so it's kind of like a win-win for everybody as far as social media yeah like lately the whole building public uh, share i feel like it's getting out of hand and overwhelming like you 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 can basically learn anything online there's people sharing all their processes and i think when it's kind of made in private you can actually go a bit more you you can have a bit more of a unique point of view then maybe you wouldn't share online. I kind of like the private. I do too, because personally, I think a lot of the social media stuff is diluted. It's kind of like, not all of it, don't get me wrong, but it feels like it's kind of the illusion of advice, which is stuff that kind of everyone's just regurgitating to each other. It, it, it becomes a bit echo chambery, if if I'm being honest. Especially now with ChatGPT. <laughs> And I kind of wanted to talk about that. We can, we can jump right into that. And, and I'm interested in, in, you know, there's a lot of software. I know someone personally who created an AI software for the copywriting and helping in, in newsletters. And, and I know that those tools are out there. So, so what are your thoughts on using AI to help brands write copy for them? Are these AI softwares useful tools or are they missing context due to the lack of research that you do? I can't speak for writing tools like uh, I think one is called copywriting or copy.ai uh, Jasper is another one I never used those I've heard and I think that those are really good for writing content rather than sales copy so there's kind of a big difference there content that like it's based on research to educate people inform people I think those are really good have become really good as far as chat GPT that's I've been using it, but that's I consider it as a tool, right? So it doesn't replace anything for me. It's just a tool that helps me. For example, I use it a lot uh, when it comes to analyzing the research. It saves me a lot of time because you can basically dump all the research that you've done. For example, a transcript of an interview, you can dump it in a chat GPT and ask it, uh, okay, what are the main themes that emerge from all the stuff that I just dumped? It just saves me time that I would have to spend 
reading a transcript of an interview that I've already run. So I, I kind of know intuitively, but the tool puts it down in a nice, clean way for me to look at later when I write the copy. So it's kind of a, a, a optimizes my processes in a way. So that, that's the way that I use it. No, and I can imagine it's good for confirmation. You know, you got an idea, you, you, you've you done your research and your critical thinking and your comprehension, and, and you come up with some results. And it's kind of like a fact checker a little bit. Like, is this other thing going to get the exact same thing that I got? That means I'm I'm probably on the right on the right page. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm hearing you say, Christopher. I think that's really cool, man. Have you found, just to kind of circle back to the newsletter a little bit, have you found any readers that implement some of your strategies and advice that you've given in your newsletters? Um, what, what kind of success have they had? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. some copywriters told me that they they tried some of the examples that I provided. I actually had someone who became a client then. They started out implementing some of, some of the stuff that I recommended and that they saw that they were, it was working pretty well and then basically then decided to hire me. But cool. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Sometimes it's not as actionable. Uh, sometimes it's more on the philosophical side, and that's basically just because that day I woke up and I had this idea, <laughs> a random idea from a movie, and I wanted to talk about it. But some other times I go pretty, pretty tactical, and it's something that you can take away and apply right away. I think it's great. And, and you know, they say writing is rewriting. So I think doing something daily that has a deadline prevents that from happening a little bit, you know, is, is finally putting a period on it and moving on. I, I think that's something personally I, I would, I would enjoy doing and, and reading at the same time. Last question I always ask the guests is about how in the e-commerce industry, most entrepreneurs are essentially operating around the clock. It prevents often at times stable mental health or work-life harmony since most entrepreneurs are always on call or always obsessing or focused about something. So my question to you, Christopher, is what, what are your hobbies and interests that you pursue to ensure stable mental health and a healthy work-life harmony? Yeah, so definitely exercising, working out. I work out typically six, seven days a week. I'm a big believer in having a stable morning routine. Some people say, oh, it's only for those fake gurus, I actually think uh, I'm a firm believer that a stable, consistent morning routine helps. Going to bed at the same time every day, even on the weekends, waking up at the same time. I was uh, super big into meditation lately, a bit less because I started a whole diet workout at the gym routine, new routine that I'm experimenting with. But I, I've, I've attended a Vipassana 10-day silent retreat two, two years ago. So I'm a big meditator, typically. I don't know if you, if you know Vipassana. It's basically a, a, tra a meditation tradition. And you, you do these 10-day courses where you meditate 10 hours a day. You don't oh, wow. speak with anyone. And it's, it's a whole course. They teach you this process, this type of meditation. And they're actually free and they're all over the world. So if you want to check it out. So yeah, meditation was a big one, working out and consistency and process mostly. I would say the biggest tip that I could give someone would be fit your working hours around your workouts, around your personal time, not the other way around. Keep those blocks consistent in the calendar and then fit work in between. Love it. I think that is really good advice, especially for people who can do that. You know, it's why, why yeah, wouldn't yeah. you? Well, look, Christopher, it's been an absolute pleasure sitting down with you. Good luck on your endeavors. Thanks, man. It's been awesome. Thank you very much. 
I'd like to thank my guest, Christopher Silvestri, for joining me on the show and come back on Tuesday when I talk with Michael Epstein, the co-founder of Postpilot, about direct mail advertising. And since Michael was on our show about a year ago, we'll also go over how his company and the direct mail advertising industry as a whole has changed in the last year. For more information about Christopher and Conversion Alchemy, you can connect with him on LinkedIn or check out his website and sign up for his newsletter at ChristopherSilvestri.com. You can also follow him on Instagram at HellYesChris, on Twitter at SilvestriChris, or on TikTok and YouTube at Conversion Alchemy. That's our show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday and Thursday. Until then. 